We read the Word of God tonight in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we're going to read together the first, I have to check that again here, it wasn't written in the bulletin. Let's read the first uh, 17 verses, I think, and the text for the sermon is verses 12 and 13, 12 and 13. And he entered into a ship, that's Jesus, and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go on to thine house. And he arose, and departed to his house. But when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am come I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn, as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth into an old garment, For that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved. We'll read that far tonight. I call your attention to verses 12 and 13. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
Beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in this passage, Matthew, who was a former publican, tells us about a day in his life which began as just an ordinary day, just another day on the job, you might say, there at the receipt of custom where he went to work each day and collected taxes from the people, which was what he did for a living. But what began as a very ordinary day turned out to be a very extraordinary day in the life of Matthew, a day in which everything in his life changed. Because on that day, Jesus passed by his tax booth. And when Jesus, walking by with his disciples, passed by Matthew's tax booth, he looked at Matthew and said to him two simple words, Follow me. When Matthew heard those words, he must have been astonished. But we know that he was delighted. Because immediately he stood up, he forsook his box of money and his job of tax collector, and he followed Jesus right then and there. Matthew was so delighted that we are told in Luke's account of this event that Matthew held a great feast in Jesus' honor that day. Jesus went into the house of Matthew that very day, and Matthew, we might say, wined and dined him. And there were many people, including Jesus' disciples, at the feast. But in addition to Jesus and the disciples, there were a great number of publicans and sinners. We ought not be surprised at that, since Matthew himself was a publican and no doubt had many connections among the publicans. And so he had his friends and his co-workers over at his house for the great feast with Jesus, who had just called him to be his disciple. Jesus entered into the house and sat down by the table with Matthew and with those publicans and sinners, and he began to eat and drink with them. This was in one of the towns of Galilee, and the local Pharisees in the town took note. At this time, Jesus was becoming famous in the land of Galilee. It was still early in his ministry, but through his doctrine and through his miracles, his reputation was spreading far and wide. The Pharisees took note that Jesus, a purported spiritual teacher, had gone into the house of a publican and had sat down with publicans and known sinners in the town, and he was eating and drinking with them. And so they approached his disciples and they asked, Why doth your master eat with publicans and sinners? They were not asking that question merely out of curiosity. They were not just inquisitive. It was not an innocent question. But that question arose out of proud and arrogant hearts, self-righteous hearts. The Pharisees were asking that question out of a condescending disgust at what Jesus was doing, interacting and mingling, eating and drinking with the likes of such people as these. Why doth your master eat and drink with publicans and sinners? 
Jesus must have overheard the question because in our text he gives an answer to that question. The answer of our Lord to that question is very instructive to us. There are significant lessons concerning sin and grace in Jesus' answer. Significant lessons regarding spiritual sickness and the great physician, regarding the need for righteousness before God and the call to repentance. Jesus says in his answer, They that be whole or they that are healthy need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in that answer of Jesus to their question, there not only are contained great lessons, but also an implicit rebuke to the Pharisees. He is speaking in the text to the Pharisees. And in speaking to them, these words, there is an implicit rebuke of their pride and self-righteousness. I call your attention tonight to the text then under the theme, Learning Our Need for the Great Physician. Learning Our Need for the Great Physician. We consider in the first place the question, who needs the physician? In the second place, that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And then thirdly, that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. In Jesus' answer to the question of the Pharisees, he said, first of all, they that are healthy do not need a physician, but they who are sick. Now those words that Jesus spoke are a truism. They are an obvious truth. They are a statement that everybody understands to be true immediately when you hear it. It's a very simple, very common sense observation that they who are sick, those who have an illness, need to go to a physician. But they who are not sick, those who do not have symptoms, who do not have pain, who do not have any sign of illness in their bodies, why would they go to the doctor? Why would they go to the hospital for a checkup when they don't have any troubles, any problems, those who are sick, experiencing illness and all of its symptoms, they rush to the physician to diagnose them, to find out what is the problem, to get to the root of the problem, and to find a remedy, to find medicine, healing, and treatments for that problem. That's a simple and obvious observation from life. But now Jesus takes that Truism, which may have been a saying that was commonly known among the Jews at that time, and he uses it to teach a spiritual truth and to convey an implicit rebuke. He's speaking those words to the Pharisees in answer to their question. Why doth your master eat with publicans and sinners? Jesus' answer, they who are healthy do not need a physician, but they who are sick Jesus is clearly teaching by those words that he himself is the great physician. He is the one who has come into this world to bring healing, to bring salvation to sick people, to bring forgiveness, to bring life, to rescue and to restore, to redeem and to save. He is the great physician. But he says, They who are healthy do not need the physician. But they who are sick, 
Who are the healthy and who are the sick? Well, in the first place, when Jesus says that they who are sick are the ones who need a physician, Jesus is certainly saying by that in the first place that these publicans and sinners were spiritually sick. And that's why he went to them. That's why he went into Matthew's house. That's why he sat down at the table with them, because they needed him. They were publicans. And publicans were known for having the habitual sin of stealing and cheating and manipulating and abusing people, taking advantage of people in order to enrich themselves. And we are also told that there were sinners in that house, which is a common term to refer to any kind of known sinner in society, in the town. There were people there in the town whom everybody knew to be sinners, to be people who were ensnared and addicted in habitual patterns of sin, blatant, gross sin. There were harlots, perhaps, adulterers, womanizers. There were men and women who were addicted to drugs and alcohol. Today we would say people addicted to pornography and addicted to gambling and all kinds of problems in their lives. These were publicans and sinners. They were spiritually sick. They were not healthy. They were not well spiritually. And so Jesus tells the Pharisee, Pharisees, that's why I'm eating with publicans and sinners. They need me. They need the great physician. I'm going to them. I'm showing mercy to them. I'm bringing healing and salvation to them. And so also today, There are publicans and sinners in the church. There are publicans and sinners outside the church, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, all around us. There are men and women who are ensnared, who are addicted to all kinds of sinful habits and patterns, sinful ways of thinking and carrying out those thoughts and attitudes. Drunks, addicts, prostitutes, homosexuals, and all kinds of sinners And when those who are called to be spiritual physicians of the soul, under the great physician, missionaries, pastors, elders, deacons, we might even add Christian school teachers, counselors, others in the Christian church, when they go to such people to bring them healing, to bring salvation, to be the hands and feet of the great physician, they are indeed following the example of Jesus Christ. They need special care and attention. Just as Jesus went to them, so also today, spiritual physicians of the church are to go to them and to bring them the only remedy that there is, the gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. But is that all that Jesus means to say when he says, they that are healthy need not a physician, but they that are sick? He was saying those words, remember, to the Pharisees in answer to their question, why is Jesus eating with publicans and sinners? And Jesus could have simply answered that question by saying, because they're sick and they need a physician. 
But that's not all he says. He says, they that are healthy need not a physician, but they that are sick. That's what he says to the Pharisees. They that are healthy need not a physician. And he meant to say to them, you don't think you are sick. You think you are the healthy ones, and these are the sick ones. And in that, you are sorely mistaken. The Pharisees did not see themselves as spiritually and morally sick, but they considered themselves morally upright, righteous, through their own outward obedience to the laws of God written down in the Scriptures. They were rigorous, they were scrupulous in their obedience to the jot and tittle of the law of God, the laws of Moses. They were very careful to obey those commandments. And they considered themselves, by virtue of their works and their obedience, to be spiritually healthy, spiritually godly, righteous, upright. They felt that they were doing just fine on their own. They didn't need the great physician. They didn't need someone to save them, to heal them. They didn't need salvation. They were righteous in themselves. They had everything they needed, they thought, within themselves. And therefore, they did not see that they had any need for Jesus, any need for his healing mercies and forgiving grace. They were spiritually and religiously proud. They were arrogant. They boasted in their own righteousness. And that's why Jesus says to them, those who are healthy do not need the physician. That is, they don't think they need a physician. And they don't seek the physician. They are proud. They are spiritually and religiously arrogant. And because of that, they look down upon others in the church and others in society whom they deem to be the truly spiritually sick ones. Those who are truly sick, disgusting, revolting. And they don't consider them sick in the sense that we will go to them to help them, but in the sense, I want nothing to do with them. I don't want to be contaminated. I don't want to be infected by their spiritual sickness. And in that too, they esteem themselves better and superior to others. You know, there is a Pharisee lurking in every one of us. And when Jesus addresses the Pharisees in the text, he's addressing that Pharisee in you and in me. He's addressing that sinful, corrupt inclination that is in all of us to think that we are spiritually healthy in ourselves, to think that we don't need the great physician, to think that we are doing just fine, thank you, that by our outward obedience, by our religiosity, our outward godliness, we are righteous. We are healthy. We are strong. And then we look down upon others whom we consider to be the really spiritually sick ones, the adulterers, the womanizers, the publicans, the harlots, the addicts, the abusers, the cheaters. And we consider ourselves to be much, much better than they. That's the Pharisee in us. And that Pharisee 
tends to think, I want nothing to do with those spiritually wretched, sick, wicked people. And so Jesus rebukes us. There is a Pharisee that lurks in each of us personally, but there's also a Pharisee that can always lurk in a denomination, ecclesiastically as well. So that we can have the inclination of thinking that we are the orthodox ones as opposed to everyone else. We are those who have orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We have the right doctrine. We have the right way of life. We have everything right. And everyone else, well, they're the spiritually sick ones. And Jesus rebukes that Pharisee in us. It's that inclination in us to think that we are holier than others. We are more righteous than others in ourselves by our own faithfulness and righteousness. The truth is that in this world, there is not a single person who is spiritually healthy in himself. Not a single person. There's not a single person in this whole world since the fall of our first parents into sin who is righteous in himself or in herself. Not a single one. The scriptures tell us there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. None of us is healthy. None of us is good in ourselves. We're all sick. We're all corrupt. We're all needy. We're all sinful. Well, you see that a very part and aspect of that sinfulness that is true of every single one of us is that we are prone also in our sickness to deny our sickness. We are prone to think that we have no sickness. We are prone to think that we're well. We're all right. We're doing fine. We're good. We're prone to be confident in ourselves, in our own strength, our own intellect, our own skills, our own gifts, our own abilities, to do what is right, to stand for the right. We're confident in our own ability to determine what is true and false, what is right and wrong, so that we have this inclination towards pride and arrogance by nature. That's part of our spiritual sickness. Because then we don't think that we really need the healing mercies and the gracious salvation of the great physician. We can do this on our own. And pride comes before a great fall. Part of that spiritual sickness is that we are prone to be blind to our own errors, our own faults, those sinful attitudes that lurk within us, the Pharisee and also the Sadducee. the legalist and the licentious person. They all lurk within us, but we're blind to it by nature. That's part of our sickness. And so Jesus comes to us in the preaching of the gospel tonight, and he calls us to recognize that we are all spiritually sick. We all need the great physician 
By those words, he was rebuking the Pharisees. You think that you are healthy, but you're not healthy. You, too, are sick, just like these publicans and sinners. You need to see that. Open your eyes. And that's what Jesus says to each one of us. Open your eyes and see what you are. You're sick. You need the great physician. And so Jesus went on in his answer to the Pharisees, and he said to them in verse 13, Go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, You need to open your eyes and see what you are. So go to the Scriptures. And in the Scriptures, you are going to find what the will of God actually is. What God desires. What God requires and commands. Jesus sends the Pharisees to the book of the prophets. He sends them to the book of Hosea. Where it is written that the Lord will have mercy and not sacrifice. Hosea was one of the prophets who lived during the kingdom of Israel. He ministered to the northern kingdom and to the southern kingdom. If you recall, the prophet Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute, Gomer. And that prostitute, Gomer, was unfaithful to him. But he went and took her back again as a sign of God's faithful and everlasting love for his unfaithful church. But Hosea lived in very wicked times in the kingdom of Israel. It was a time of spiritual decline, apostasy, unfaithfulness. And yet, during those days, there was still an outward adherence by many to the laws of God and to the true religion. There were many Israelites who went through the outward motions of the true religion. They brought their sacrifices. They brought their burnt offerings. They brought their goats and their sheep and their lambs to the priests for sacrifices. And yet, at the same time, they were also corrupting the true religion by worshiping God in ways that he didn't command, raising up golden calves in Bethel and Dan, and trying to worship God through those golden calves, and turning to other gods and worshiping idols in addition to the one true God. And so while they went through the outward motions of the true religion, they corrupted that, and they failed to show mercy. And so Jesus points them back to the book of Hosea. And we find there in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, this word of the prophet to Israel. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. There is no truth. There is no mercy. There is no knowledge of God in the land said Hosea. And the inhabitants of the land would perhaps respond, but we bring our sacrifices, we bring our offerings according to the law of God, we do what is right, we do what is true, we believe what is true, we believe in Jehovah. We believe we are to serve Him. 
We bring our offerings and sacrifices to him. But they did not worship him in spirit and in truth, with a true and undivided heart of devotion to him. But they also worshiped idol gods, and they worshiped falsely. And after they brought their sacrifices, then they would go back home, back to the farm, back to the workplace, back to their towns, and once again interact with each other and bump shoulders with the widows and the orphans and the strangers of the land, but they didn't show mercy to anyone. There was no mercy. They ignored, they avoided, they sidestepped the needy in the land. They didn't give to the poor. They didn't care for the widows. They oppressed them. They treated them badly. They looked down upon the publicans and sinners in the land. And there was no knowledge of God. Oh, they claimed to know God, but they had no true knowledge of God. And more and more, they were also losing the knowledge of theology, the truths about God. Which led Hosea to say to them in chapter 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. This was the spiritual condition of Israel in those days. No truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God. And that led God to inspire Hosea to write in chapter 6, verse 6, I desired mercy, not sacrifice. I desired the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. They have dealt treacherously against me. And Jesus now quotes that verse to the Pharisees. The worship of the Israelites in the time of Hosea was a merely outward show. There was more and more very little true worship of God from the heart, out of faith and in love for God and thankfulness to God. Hosea himself was probably quoting other scriptures, for we read in the Psalms, in Psalm 40, that same idea that we sang earlier. The psalmist wrote, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. And in Psalm 51, David already confessed. After he sinned against Bathsheba and murdered Uriah, but found forgiveness... He wrote Psalm 51, Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That's what God desires. A broken and a contrite spirit. Later, the prophet Isaiah dealt with the people as well. Isaiah 1 verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or he goats. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense 
is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of the assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees as he sits there on the table with publicans and sinners. Go, he says. Read the scriptures and learn what it says. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And apply that to yourselves. Jesus was showing the Pharisees that they were just as sick and needy as those publicans and sinners. Because if the Pharisees would truly consider those scriptures and apply them to themselves, they would see how morally degenerate they are. Because the Pharisees were doing those very things. Going through the motions of the true religion. Bringing their sacrifices. Bringing their tithes and their offerings scrupulously obeying outwardly the laws and commandments of Moses, but at the same time, in subtle and clever ways, corrupting the law and the scriptures, introducing man-made traditions, man-made commandments that God never commanded, and then holding those up as if those were also necessary to obey for righteousness before God. But all the while, As they passed by the widows and the orphans, they ignored them. And in fact, they oppressed the widows. They stole from them. They took advantage of the poor. Where, Jesus says, is the mercy. Later, just before Jesus was put on the cross by these arrogant Pharisees and scribes, he pronounced woes upon them. In Matthew 23, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, nor suffer them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to have left the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Go, Jesus says to them, and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And then you will see that you also are spiritually sick and in great, great need of salvation. And how do we make application then to ourselves, beloved? If there is also a Pharisee that lurks in every one of us, all of those words of Jesus to the Pharisees come to us. They come to the Pharisee in us, in you and in me. Are you bringing your sacrifices faithfully? 
Are you offering up your burnt offerings regularly? Are you coming to church on the Lord's Day, in the morning service, in the evening service? And when you come to church, do you open the Psalter and do you sing the Psalms? Do you bring your offerings for the general fund and the benevolent fund faithfully? On Sunday morning, do you carefully affix your tie and your your white shirt and your suit coat and come to church on time? That's good. You ought to do that. When you come to church... Do you then listen to the prayer and do you listen to the sermon and do you listen to the reading of the scriptures? That's good. You ought to do that. During the week, are you diligent to pray before your meals and to give thanks to God and ask for his blessing? Do you come to the Bible studies in the middle of the week to study scripture with God's people? Do you pray morning and night? Do you sing The Psalms, that's all good. You ought to bring those sacrifices. We ought to live godly lives of devotion to God. But if we're only going through the motions of these things, if we're only doing these things out of habit, out of custom, because we were raised to do that, if we're not coming to God's house in a desire to know the truth about our God, and to grow in the knowledge of him who first loved us and gave his son for us and redeemed us and forgave and saved us and who gives us the promise of eternal life. And if we're not coming to God's house and giving our offerings in mercy for the poor and the needy because we care about the Christian schools, because we know they have needs and we need to help them, we want to help them, then it's all just a show And it's an abomination to God. God says about that, don't bring those vain oblations. I don't want that. I look for worshipers who will worship me in spirit and in truth. Not Pharisees, not hypocrites. And when we consider that, beloved, for just a moment, when we hear that the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice, We consider how many times have we gone diligently to church with our offerings and all the while ignored the poor and the sick and the needy throughout the week. Ignored every opportunity to visit the widows and the orphans and their affliction, which is pure religion and undefiled. We haven't found mercy and love and kindness and compassion in our hearts for those who need us. How many times? Countless times. That's because we too, we're not spiritually healthy in ourselves. We're all sick. How many times have we felt love and kindness toward those who love us, but no mercy, no compassion to those whom we deem to be the worst of the worst, the addicts and the drunkards, the homosexuals and the abusers, and the womanizers, and the cheaters, those whom we consider to be less than the dust under our feet. And Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. What was Jesus doing? Practicing mercy. Sitting around that table with 
publicans and sinners. People who were known in the town to have a terrible reputation for doing abominable deeds. Yet, there he was, revealing the mercy of a merciful God towards sinners. So Jesus calls us to see our great need, our great, great need for the physician to save us, to heal us, to forgive us. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus did not come into this world to call the righteous. Are you righteous in yourself? Do you consider yourself righteous by your own deeds? Then Jesus did not come into the world to call you, except to call you to repent of that. And to seek him for your righteousness. He did not come into the world to call the righteous. What that means is, he did not come into this world to sit around the table with vainly puffed up, spiritually proud, arrogant men and women who think they're better than everybody else and to sit around that table and to pat them on the back and say, good job, way to go, you're doing well, keep it up. He didn't come into this world to do that. There are enough psychophants in this world. There are enough flatterers in this world who tell arrogant people that they're doing just fine and they should keep up the good work. Jesus didn't come into the world to do that. Not to call the righteous. The fact is that there are no righteous people in this world. He did not come to call the righteous, he says, but he came to call sinners to repentance. When Jesus says, I came to call sinners to repentance, he's referring, first of all, as we have seen, to those publicans and those public sinners sitting in Matthew's house with him around that table. He came into the world to call those sinners to repentance. He came into the world to seek and to save those lost sinners. Those abusers, those addicts to pornography and drugs and alcohol and gambling, those abusers, those all kinds of sinners. He came to call them to repentance. But he also came to call those Pharisees to repentance and to call the Pharisee in us to repentance. Jesus is not in the business of tolerating sinners in their sins. Jesus does not make us feel good and build up our self-esteem in our sins as sinners. Regardless of what kind of sins we commit. But he came to call sinners to repentance. Repentance is that Sincere spiritual change of the mind and heart. 
that sincere, godly sorrow over my sins, that by my sins I have provoked God to anger. I have displeased my Maker. I have displeased the only one who is able to save me from my sins. I have made myself worthy of his wrath and everlasting damnation by my sins. And I'm sorry for that. It's a spiritual and sincere changing of the mind. That's the meaning of the word repentance in the Greek. Changing the mind. Changing of the heart. Whereas the heart previously loved that sin, reveled in it. Now the mind hates that sin. Confesses that sin fully. And is resolved by the grace of God to forsake it. That's repentance. Repentance is not a mere show of emotion. There are many people who show emotion. They burst into tears. And you might think that they are showing by those tears already a sign of repentance. They might be. They might be. Because repentance is a godly sorrow. A deep and sincere sorrow and changing of the mind will lead to tears. It will lead to grief, emotion, an outpouring of emotion, a broken and a contrite heart. But it's not a mere show of emotion. Repentance is not a mere acknowledgement that I'm a sinner in a general sense of the word. Repentance is not an acknowledgement merely that I have erred, that I have done a few things wrong in my life. Repentance is not a mere expression of regret over the consequences of my sin. Regret that the fact that I did this led to these consequences, either for that person or for myself. Repentance is not a mere expression of regret that someone misunderstood me, what I did or what I said. Repentance is a sincere, genuine, godly change of the mind. Deep in the heart, a sorrow over my sin, that I sinned against God. I displeased God. It's a broken and contrite heart. And that broken and contrite heart leads to the fruit of a full and free confession of that sin. So that we no longer blame other people for our sin. We no longer make excuses for it. We no longer try to justify it. We no longer minimize it. We own it. We recognize it. We hate it. We confess it. That's repentance. We are resolved by the grace of God to forsake it and turn from it. Christ says, I came into the world to call sinners to repentance. And you know, the wonder of that call, being the call of Jesus Christ, it's not a mere outward call. I can stand here all day until I'm blue in the face calling you to repent, repent, repent. The elders can do that in their work. 
and it can lead nowhere. And the fact is that many are called, but few are chosen. And those who are chosen, when they are called to repentance, the Holy Spirit works by the miracle of grace in that heart to soften it, to turn it, to change it, to lead it to that repentance. So that as the Canons of Dort teach us, the believer is actually said to repent. That's the power of the call, the efficacious call of Jesus. I came into the world, he says, to call sinners to repentance. And he means by that also to work in their hearts, in the hearts of as many as God has ordained to eternal life, in the hearts of all of God's elect children, so that when they are called outwardly, I will call them inwardly, and they will repent. That's why he came into the world. So that through that call, the sinner, repenting of his sin, looks up to Jesus and flees to the cross and lays hold upon that cross as his only hope for forgiveness and salvation. He sees his need for the great physician. Jesus not only came into the world to call sinners to repentance, but as he says in other scriptures, and as we celebrate in this Lenten season, and as we will come back to church this Good Friday to celebrate and remember, he came into this world to give his life a ransom for many sinners. Only a couple of years after this event of our text, Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the colt of an ass on Palm Sunday, an event known as the triumphal entry. The king, but a lowly and humble king, who came to lay down his life for sinners in his love, to show God's heart of mercy and grace to his sinful people, to you and me. And that's what Jesus did. He came to save sinners by the shedding of his blood, to justify the ungodly, to justify the unrighteous, to make the unrighteous to be righteous, not through their own righteousness, but through his righteousness, through his death on the cross, to declare God's righteousness for sinners for all those he has chosen to eternal life. And then, having justified us to sanctify us, he came to lay down his life, to rise from the dead, and to ascend into glory, then to pour out his Spirit upon us, and to pour out with that Spirit the healing medicine that can set sinners free, that can liberate sinners from their addictions, from their bondage, from their evil deeds, He heals all our sicknesses and all our diseases. He sets us free. He saves us wholly and completely. That's what Jesus did in the house of Matthew. That's what he did later in the house of Zacchaeus, another publican. And where we read in the book of Luke that Jesus said to Zacchaeus, This day is salvation come to this house. Salvation. 
Zacchaeus was a changed man. He changed his mind by the powerful call and gracious work of Jesus in his life, applying to him the merits that he would earn on the cross before he even went to the cross. Jesus came to save us sinners. And now, the risen Jesus, triumphant in glory above, comes to us in the preaching of the gospel, presenting himself, presenting himself Christ crucified and risen as the only way of righteousness and salvation, healing, mercy. And he calls out to us, repent today. Repent today of all your sin of which you are conscious and pray God to make known to you those sins of which you're not conscious. Pray that God will search you and know you and examine you and make known to you your hidden faults and expose them to you. All your pride, all your lust, all your anger and repent of it. Today, confess it fully and put your faith in me And you will be saved. And you will be forgiven and justified. What a blessed and glorious gospel. And may God grant unto us the grace of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank thee for the good news of salvation, righteousness, and healing in the great physician, Jesus Christ. We confess to thee this day we have been humbled to see our sins, to see our weaknesses, our sickness. We beseech thee, Father, to make known unto us our sins, that we may hate them and flee from them and express our sorrow for them. Work in our hearts, Father, because we confess we are not even able in ourselves, to see our sins. Take away the scales from our eyes. And in the way of repentance, in the way of, and by means of faith in Jesus Christ, we pray, give us the blessed experience that all our sins are forgiven in his precious blood and only on the ground and for the sake of his one sacrifice on the cross. We pray, Father, that we might come back to thy house this Friday our special service, rejoicing and thankful to hear the good news of the death of our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen.